Our adrenals are so key because they keep us alive. They, you know, help us fight or flight. And, you know, our body prioritizes our adrenals. So if you're using them constantly, like us, right? <laughs> We're using them constantly. Our body's going to prioritize that over our ovaries getting enough estrogen and progesterone, over our thyroid making enough T3 and T4. So just have to like think about that. And we have to think about the stress on our bodies. So sugar and stress is like a big deal. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Allison Maris, welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. You are a fellow New Yorker, New York-based yes. um, nutritional therapy practitioner and mindfulness coach. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Emily. Yeah. You know, on muscle medicine, we talk about how to feed the muscle, how to rehab, how to strength train, and just breaking out that first aspect of like how to feed the body. Because I think so many of us can get into cycles of you know, what's the latest fad diet, binging, and then feeling bad, and then, you know, and then getting back on like the plan. So how do you help clients who struggle with that? Because really kind of like all of us struggle with that. Mm -hmm. To be super disciplined is like all the time. It's such a like small handful percentage of people in reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I see it all the time when my clients come to me, they're usually, you know, definitely well-educated on what's going on with the latest diets and recommendations for, you know, especially healing diets, right? So, you know, things like AIP or paleo, keto, those things, you know, while very well-intentioned, it's just that to your point, it's very hard to stay consistent and even know, is this something that's working well for me? So, something that I'm really big on is just getting people more in tune with their bodies to be able to tell because, you know, diets are tools, they're templates, and we're really supposed to kind of take them and then adjust them to our lifestyle, our digestion, you know, for our training, for example, too, like what's really working specifically for us because we're all so unique and it's just not as simple as like, Hey, stay disciplined on this one diet forever and ever. Because a lot of times people will come to me and they're like, I'm eating paleo, but I'm not feeling better. Or I've been on AIP, you know, the autoimmune paleo protocol for seven months. And I, I haven't, you know, eaten cruciferous vegetables or nuts in a year. And it's just like, okay, let's talk about that um, and figure out why you're doing that and really, you know, dive in deep. And one of the tools that I use a lot in my practice is mindful eating. And that's because not not only does it help with us getting more in tune with our bodies by slowing down and being present and, you know, really listening to our hunger and satiation cues, as well as noticing, Hey, is this food bothering me? Or did I just remove it because someone told me to remove it? You know, there's a lot of power in just listening to your body, which a lot of us don't take the time to do, but it also is really powerful for our mind body connection, our digestive system, And I just see amazing results with that. You know, people kind of come to me for recipes and meal plans, but they, they stay for the mindful eating. That's what I, that's what I've seen. (laughs) Nice. So 
the word, when you say mindful eating, Mm -hmm. can you kind of give us a picture of what that is? Because I think the word mindful these days is so interchanged with meditation Mm -hmm. and it's not interchanged properly because they're very different. Yeah. But like when you say mindful eating, what is, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's essentially the practice of being present. That's really what I boil it down to. And so some examples of mindful eating will be removing distractions from the table. So a lot of us will, you know, take our lunch break at our desk, be working straight through lunch and just kind of like shoveling a fork of, you know, whatever, a salad or whatever into our mouths. And we're not paying attention. And that's a big problem because the very first step in digestion is in our brain. Our brain has to signal to the mouth, to the stomach, and so on and so forth. And it's really just a domino effect from there. And if we get the first part wrong, we're just setting up a cascade of issues for our digestive system. So you really just want to be present, you know, sit down, take three deep belly breaths before you put any food in your mouth. That's one of the most powerful shifts I've personally made that people tend to really like because I kind of liken it to flipping a switch, like kind of saying like, okay, it's eating time. I want to make sure I'm not in a sympathetic, stressful state right now because then you're in no no condition to start digesting. You're, it takes too much energy to digest. Your body cannot do it in a, in a fight, flight or freeze mode. So by taking those three deep belly breaths, we're kind of flipping a switch to a more parasympathetic state, also known as the rest and digest state, right? So we want to do that for sure. Again, like clear the laptop, clear the iPhone, get off Instagram for two seconds. It really doesn't take that long to complete a meal. So you can, you know, miss Instagram for five or 10 minutes. (laughs) And don't sit in front of the TV for those of us who still sit in front of the TV. Oh, total. (laughs) That's usually the biggest thing is like in the evenings, people will like flip on the TV, try to turn their brain off and then eat dinner. You know, do what you can, start where you can. Sometimes if it's just breakfast and lunch, whatever you can do, it will make a difference. And then another thing that I really like to stress is that when you're being present and even like, okay, so when you're meditating and in yoga, you know, the drishti point they say to focus on, right? Like when you're focusing on a point, not not necessarily closing your eyes, you can focus on your food, notice the colors, notice the textures. Maybe if you, if you cooked it yourself, you already have more of a connection to the food. And so being really present with it, it helps eliminate that rushing, that binging, that emotional, you know, state that we can get into because yeah, while food is medicine, food is also emotional. So we have to just recognize that and give ourselves some grace because to your point, like a lot of us can swing back and forth with the restriction and the binging. And if we can just be a little bit calmer and take a few deep breaths, notice what's happening in front of us, more often than not, you'll start to make those better decisions. You'll start to slow down and recognize when you're full and not overdo it. Yeah. I think for so many of us that are like, so go, go, go. When I first heard like, Hey, sit down, like clear everything. I was like, yo, I don't have time for that. (laughs) I don't have time to do those things. I don't have time to sit down and like (laughs) chew my food slowly. But for me, what really changed, and I'd love for you to speak to this is like, when I took the time to chew my food and not eat quickly, I didn't get bloated. Yeah. I didn't have like gassy pain. I wasn't like speaking to like my patient after lunch and having like a little like regurgitation <laughs> moment. Like it was like, there was like physical 
you know, changes with taking the time to eat slower and, and eat mindfully that I was like, oh, okay, this is why I do it. Yes. I know I'm supposed to be mindful, but like there's these physical effects. Absolutely. <laughs> eating mindful. Can you speak to some of those? Yeah. So that, and that's one of my favorite parts is it's not just this like pie in the sky dream. Like I'm going to eat mindful, you know, like you said, like, it sounds crazy. Like utopian eating of totally. Yeah. You're like, sure. Maybe if I'm on vacation in Bali, I can do that, but not exactly. when I'm working in New York city. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I totally feel you on that. So yeah. I mean, some of the amazing results that you can see are exactly what you said. Bloating is always the first thing that my clients are like, holy goodness. It's only been two or three days of me trying this. And even though it's hard, like you said, it's a little, it's a challenge. I'm not bloated anymore. And it's not even changing necessarily what you have been eating. It's the how. So that's another, I guess that's another way to describe mindful eating, right? It's not just what you're eating. It's about how you're eating less bloating for sure. Less gas, because again, it's that cascade of your digestive system starting off in the brain and it got off on the right foot. It passed the baton, right? Like you were chewing your food more. That's another big thing with mindful eating is you want to chew, chew, chew so that it's as broken down as possible by the time it gets to your stomach. And because you slowed down and you took the time for your brain to recognize like, oh, Emily's eating now. She's not working. I can signal to the rest of the body to start doing what it needs to do. Now your stomach has created super acidic stomach acid, which is so, so important, you know, for not only breaking down the food, but also disinfecting our food. So I kind of like think about our stomach as like a washer machine, like when it's you know, really fully going and there's water and all this stuff like sloshing around in there. That's like what our stomach does when it has that really, you know, strong quality stomach acid to be able to get rid of pathogens, parasites, all this other stuff. And I know so many of us will complain with our digestive systems. Like, I feel like it's always something. I feel like I have, you know, recurrences of SIBO, of parasites, of all these other issues. And that's one of like our first defenses is in our stomach to protect us from that. We're all eating stuff with God knows what on it. Like (laughs) you you just don't know. Right. So that's another big thing is like when I started mindful eating and I know we were talking earlier, but I have Hashimoto's. So I've definitely been through the whole leaky gut SIBO gamut and all that stuff and all the recurrences of that. And it's not fun. You know, you kind of feel like you end up in this forever loop of like, either I'm taking these herbal things or I'm on this really strict diet or whatever it is. And once I really started getting serious about mindful eating and I, you know, do the same with my clients that are really into it, suddenly that stuff starts to fall by the wayside. It's like, oh yeah, I've, I haven't had those symptoms in a while. I've been regular. Like that's another big thing. Regular, you know, digestion, regular BMs, all that good stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Um, you're detoxing more. It's really an incredible tool that's like completely free and available to you right this minute. So I love it. (laughs) For those of us who do chew our food quickly Mm -hmm. and now are trying to set an intention, like I'm going to chew my food more. Is there like, I know this is kind of a weird question. Is there like a certain time amount or a certain consistency where it's like, okay, that's enough chewing. Like that's the (laughs) optimal chew time. (laughs) Yeah. You can swallow. Yeah. You know, and I've heard people say things like chew each bite of food X amount of times, like 35 times or something like that. Yeah. That will make me crazy though. Like I love food. I love cooking and I don't want to sit there and bring math into the equation. Like this is an enjoyable experience. Let's leave math out of it. So what I tend to do is just chew until I can't chew anymore. That's what I tell myself is like, 
just do it as much as you possibly can. And what's pretty neat about that is you'll start to taste new things in the food. Hmm. You know, the, the longer you chew, the more taste you'll get out of it. And you know, just try it. It's fun. It's like an experience. And the more you just tell yourself, like, keep chewing, keep chewing, keep chewing, you'll, you'll get there. And eventually you'll be like, all right, I got to swallow. <laughs> it's like, um, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory where one of the kids <laughs> are like, they're like licking something and it like yes. tastes different. It's like that. Yes. Oh my God. It's exactly like that. I love that analogy. <laughs> Oftentimes you'll hear in the media and the health and wellness media that, you know, listen to your body. It will tell you what it wants to eat, right? Like mm-hmm. it will tell you what your body needs. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, sometimes my body really wants a gluten-free scone, yeah. <laughs> but like it probably doesn't need it. So right. how do we identify feelings that are like emotional related to food and like wanting to kind of binge eat versus yeah. maybe that message of like your body's telling you what it needs to eat? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I'm totally with you. Like sometimes it's just an emotional response. Like maybe it's the time of the month. Like everyone is always like, I want chocolate the whole week (laughs) leading up to my period. And it's like, these things just happen. I think absolutely there are some physical reasons. Like maybe there's some kind of deficiencies or you're just really hungry and like you smelled something, maybe you smelled that scone or saw it and it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, attack. So that's kind of the thing with like the the restriction when, when we go too overboard and we're not enjoying anymore that we can go so off the rails to just be like, cool, I want cake, breakfast, lunch, and dinner now, you know, it's instead of our normal thing. Um, but in terms of like listening to our body a little bit more with that, I would say, take a step back and just really ask yourself, what is it that I am craving right now? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Like, am I just dehydrated? So many times that's what it is. Or, you know, do I like need a hug? Like if I'm craving sugar, it's probably because I'm trying to comfort or, you know, maybe numb myself or because I've been eating sugar. That's kind of another thing is that you're going to crave what you eat a lot of too. So I remember when I started having more like protein rich breakfasts and literally just like leftovers from dinner are usually my breakfast, like just sausage and greens or whatever. That's what I crave now in the morning. I don't mm. crave muffins and pop tarts like I pretty much grew up eating for breakfast. You know, I don't do that anymore. So there's kind of a few things, and it depends where you are, you know, at at your journey and, and how you normally eat. But I would say you're going to crave what you eat a lot of. So load up on the good stuff so that you crave greens and crave yeah. free range organic chicken, you know, whatever it is. And then secondly, really ask yourself, what does this craving mean? You know, if you can take two seconds to just take a step back and be like, dude, have I drank water today? No, I've been running like a lunatic. I need to drink some water. Let me drink that and then see if I want the scone. Or, you know, is it just that I'm having a stressful emotional reaction right now and I really need something else? And I think, you know, it's hard to do sometimes in the moment, but if we do just check in with ourselves, that's how we listen to our body. We're receiving signals all the time. Just check in. Yeah. Let's go back to the ample amount of protein, especially for breakfast. And the first time I heard this was Charles Poliquin saying to like what you first feed your body at the beginning of the day, like sets your body right and that you have to earn your carbs. And ever since he said that, I was like, yes, I have to earn my carbs. Like (laughs) I'm going to go like strength train and work out hard and have a strenuous day, then I've earned my carbs. If I'm going to like sit around behind my computer all day, I have not earned my carbs. 
but can you speak to just having ample protein, especially for breakfast? Yeah. So I think that's a great thing, like a great quote about how you start. So something that I always say, and I'm always like on Instagram sharing my breakfast is like hashtag start savory. So by starting savory, I continue to crave it. And it's not overnight. It might take a week, might take two weeks. If you're used to like starting with a three banana smoothie or something like that, it's going to take a minute, but you will adjust and you may start to crave that. And so, you know, the other thing that that does for in terms of like sugar cravings and maybe like highly starchy carb cravings, sometimes people only think of sugar cravings as dessert or sweets, but it could be if you're like a French fry person or a potato chip person, like that's the same. So the way that, that it works is protein especially helps to curb those cravings. All the amino acids in there are giving you so much that you need throughout the day and sustaining you. Like the satiation with a high protein breakfast is amazing because it lasts you to lunch. Like when people start switching their breakfast to that, you know, like, let's say it's a, I literally just had like ground Turkey with sauteed spinach and I threw some avocado on it. That's like heaven for me in the morning. And then I'm just, I'm satiated to lunch. Like I'm good to go. I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed and all that good stuff. So I think that it's really key. And that's something that I help a lot of people with because we're not used to it. And I think it's a switch because we're so used to more dessert type breakfast. Yes. It's like, <laughs> give me the croissant and the coffee. Yes. <laughs> even, <Totally>. though, <laughs> even though that is just basically a sad diet. <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. And you know, I think it's also because we don't think of it. We feel like in the morning we have to go, go, go. And what's the quickest thing that I can grab? Yes. And what's the thing that's going to give me the most energy? And it's hitting up Starbucks and whatever they got ready to go, you know? So yes, got to do a little prep. You got to, you know, figure it out, but there's so many options now, like these quick frozen sausages you can have. You can just boil a carton of eggs, get some avocados on your counter. And I literally, I just always keep frozen spinach on hand because it's just such an easy thing. You just toss it in a pan, a little olive oil, you're good to go. And so it's just as quick as that croissant and coffee to me. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about pregnancy and Hashimoto's because you've yeah. had quite the journey and it was quite the journey, even just getting like properly diagnosed. Yeah. And I think a lot of women don't know, for example, like when I see women and they talk about their thyroid and their medications not working and, and then they talk about wanting to get pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, some women don't know, you know how Hashimoto's can affect fertility, but at the same time, it's tricky to kind of like talk about it because it can feel defeating, can feel scary. Yeah. And to that end, like with the whole feeling defeating and all this other stuff, when I was finally diagnosed, even though I wasn't like, we were thinking about getting pregnant, but there was obviously my health was just declining. My hair was falling out. My period was a hot mess. Like I couldn't track anything. I didn't know when we would even try basically. So It was more so like before I could even start, I felt like I was failing. I'm like, nothing is right right now. Like something's wrong. And then, yeah, I got the diagnosis and I'm like, oh crap, right away, you know, it's like thyroid and Hashimoto's affects fertility. You know, at least I definitely was aware of that. And, you know, it's tough. You see a lot of things like women go through multiple miscarriages and their body just goes through so much and they're trying to heal. And we get into this like state of perpetuity where it's like, I have to fix myself. I have to fix myself in order to get pregnant. 
do whatever, just like be a human in the morning. You know, like some of us are just struggling so much with the symptoms. And so my experience, I essentially, I was in that cycle a little bit of like, got to fix myself, got to find the perfect workout, perfect diet, perfect supplements, kill SIBO, do, you know, do all the things you, you go on this whole never ending to-do list. Right. And that in itself feels very defeating. Like, am I getting anywhere? Is anything improving? So finally, I mean, I feel like things just started to fall into place when I wasn't only focused on one piece of healing, right? As someone who's like a nutritional therapy practitioner, it's like, my tool is nutrition, food. What did I eat? What did I do? Why are my antibodies high? Did I eat eggs? Oh my God. You know, like you just go on this whole thing. And I started just realizing like, dude, you've got to chill. Like you're out of control. So I just started pulling back. And honestly, that's also part of the mindful eating journey with me is like, I started to come to like, Hey, I'm like, I'm food by Mars. I have a food blog. And suddenly I'm not happy with food. I'm out of tune with my body. Like what's going on. And I started really taking a step back and doing more of the mindfulness, doing the meditation, doing the journaling. Like what else is bothering me? What else am I carrying with me? And it sounds a little woo woo, but honestly, I felt like the nutrition and partnering with really good practitioners and doctors and doing all that got me far, but only so far. You know, you hit a wall after a while, and I think you need to figure out what else is going on personally in your life. So that's when I just started making some changes and having to face things I didn't really want to deal with, but I, I just forced myself to, I'm like, this has got to be it at this point. And before I knew it, I got pregnant. Like, I, you know, I hate, I hate ending with, with like, oh, I don't know, I relaxed. And then I got pregnant because I know that's so many, it's like kind of cliche and it doesn't necessarily maybe help everyone right off the bat, but there's no real magic pill or answer, but that's what my experience was ultimately. Was the, the things that you dealt with, were they on a like physical health level or was it like a kind of like an energetic, emotional level? Yeah. So I, I would say in the beginning, it was all physical. Like the symptoms were just right in my face, hard to ignore the joint pain, the hair loss, my period, the PCOS, like kind of all this stuff that was interrelated with the Hashimoto's and thyroid issues. But like I said, I started getting to this thing where it was like, oh, okay. I have SIBO again. Oh, I just healed that. Like, it was almost like I was at the door, but I didn't have the key. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like, everything was like somehow in place. I was doing all the things. I was switching all my makeup. I was making my own yogurt. Like, like I couldn't have been more of like an A student in the Hashimoto's like school. And it was crazy. And I was like, what more could it be? And you know, when like everyone tells you to read the same book, Yes. Like everyone's coming, like some kind of message just keeps coming to you. So for a while, everyone was like, you got to read Anatomy of the Spirit. You've got to read like Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life, like these types of books. And it's not that I wasn't into or open to that kind of stuff. It's just like being that busy in New York City, like I'm working, you know, I'm just like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong. It's just what I'm eating probably. You know, and I just kept focusing on that because it's physical, it's in front of you, it's easy to focus on versus kind of going inside yourself, like doing the more introspection type of work and, you know, asking, is there something else? And then I did start to realize like, hey, I think I'm holding some grudges from things and, 
you know, maybe I'm scared to get pregnant on some level and maybe here's why, you know, just like all those little things, you have to ask yourself these questions. And for me, what was really powerful was just kind of journaling through it and getting it out of my system and then really like leveling up my self-care and allowing myself some grace and not focusing so hard on like you're broken, you have to fix yourself, you know, because that narrative to your point is so defeating. And it's like, how are you going to get anywhere when you're, you know, just like riding yourself way too hard. So yeah. I started to just pull back. And I think that helped a lot. Yeah. I think for a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant or maybe having struggles or difficulty getting pregnant right away, I've noticed there's a trend where, you know, I'll ask them, I'll be like, Hey, did you get your blood work done? Mm-hmm. Did you get your thyroid checked? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They checked like TSH. It's all good. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want a deeper dive into more blood work. How are you after pregnancy? Because pregnancy is so taxing on the body and on the thyroid. How is it postpartum? Yeah. And also the pregnancy, pregnancy is like twilight zone in general. Totally. I found out. <laughs> Total, <laughs> like, like your body's just like, what? Why are you doing that? Out of nowhere. <laughs> You're like, who am I? Whose body totally, am I living Totally, totally. You're like just rapidly changing. You don't know what's going on. It, I remember when I would be like learning about nutrition and supplements and all these things. And it's like, oh, but that's contraindicated in pregnancy. And I'm like, ah, you know, like frustrated. And then I actually got pregnant and I'm like, oh my God, I can't have anything. I can't do anything. Like, what is this? So it's just like twilight zone. And, you know, my thyroid fluctuated a lot. Like we had, that's another thing I would just offer up as advice for pregnancy and Hashimoto's like keep on top of that, like work with someone who can check your thyroid and make, you know, changes to your medication or whatever it is that you're taking. And, you know, just monitor that because it is so important for the, for the baby's health. But I would say in terms of like after pregnancy, I was like open-minded and like open-hearted to see what things would be like. And initially I didn't necessarily feel any symptoms with respect to Hashimoto's but more so now I'm starting to a little bit like some joint pain is coming back and, you know, little things like that. And of course, postpartum is like hormonal imbalance soup. So <laughs> just kind of like weeding your way through that and, you know, your thyroid's implicated. So um, it's been good, honestly, overall, but I've started to notice some things like popping up and, you know, it's just a reminder to me like, okay, you I know you have to take care of the baby 24 seven, but you do have to take care of yourself too. And so it's been interesting. I I will say with a newborn, it's harder to focus on, oh, when's the last time I got my thyroid checked and all that stuff. Like you really, things can fall by the wayside. So that's been something I need to be better about. (laughs) Is there certain things you would recommend in terms of supporting your body postpartum? Yeah. And I actually have like a whole blog post about things that I've used. So something that I did was before, just like leading up the weeks before leading up to giving birth, I ordered a bunch of like paleo freezer meals for myself (laughs) because I just knew there was no way we were going to be able to cook. And it was really important to me to not like order out every night. I was not going to be able to handle that. I had a bunch of bone broth in my freezer for sure. That was huge. It was also helpful for just digestion because digestion is just very weird at like in postpartum. So that was really helpful. 
Also, I, I definitely tried my best to keep up with some meditation. So like meditation apps were helpful. I used the one expectful that's for like pregnancy and fertility a lot. Totally. Yes. I use that one. You too. love that one. Yeah. It was, it was great throughout my pregnancy and it was definitely helpful because you know, you get into these like anxious states, things are changing. It's all over the place. Yeah. Those were like the biggies nutrition wise. And then if you're breastfeeding, there's like definitely some more recommendations too. Like I definitely recommend meeting with a lactation consultant and, you know, just getting whatever support you can. And it might be uncomfortable to ask for help if you're very independent. Like I know I was, it was not easy to just keep asking people for help, but you start to get used to it after after a while, preparing as best you can. And you know, reaching out for help is definitely yeah. helpful because you're not yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same. I was like baby number two. I don't need help. Mm-hmm. I don't need that night nurse, you know, from baby <laughs> yeah. number one experience. And then three weeks post, I had like terrible mastitis, like a oh, fever no. of like 104 for a week. And my midwife was like, you're going to stay in bed. Like you have the flu and everyone else, like you basically breastfeed the baby and then you pass off the baby to get burped and then you rest and everything else I need to get done. Someone else can do. Mm -hmm. She's like, and here are eight postpartum doulas on speed dial for you. Nice. (laughs) And it was, even when they would come over, it was so hard. I'm like, okay, in my head, I like, called this person to come over to take care of me and to like ask them to be like, Hey, can you give me some water? I was like, it's just such a shift in mindset of like, you know, that independent woman doing it all. I was reading a blog about your Hashimoto's experience Mm -hmm. and you have tried many different styles of eating. Oh yeah. Like paleo, whole 30, AIP, FODMAP. And it's, it's always so great to speak to someone who's actually walk the talk, like has gone through and seen like how each of those affect the body. What was your experience with trying those out? Cause I know different ones were for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I'm going to do this one. Cause I'm going to, for my SIBO and I'm going to do this right. one for like the autoimmune protocol after kind of doing all these different styles, what have you like landed on for yourself? Yeah. And that's definitely been heavy on my mind, especially recently. So you know, again, I think that these healing diets are really powerful tools and that they have a place and that they can help people. But I think when it backfires is when we don't reintroduce quick enough, when we are not using it as such, as a tool, as a template and attempting to say, okay, yes, but what do I need? Like, this was great. I saw these results but now I have to figure out what I need. Literally every day when I get on a call with someone, it's like, I've been on AIP for 10 months. I don't feel good. And I'm like, well, yeah. Did you reintroduce anything? (laughs) There is time periods and you have to reintroduce and do all these things. And you know, it's not their fault. It's diet mentality that we all grew up with. It's the more you diet, the better you get, the thinner you get. You know, there's these like preconceived notions that we have about diets that I think block us from using them well or appropriately. And it's not really anyone's fault. So my experience with a lot of them, because I was going in pretty informed and pretty like open-minded to it, I did feel like, okay, I'm not just like on a Monday doing the sad diet and then on Tuesday going to AIP, right? Because that would be a little lunacy. You do have to like ease into things. You have to prep yourself. You have to realize that you're going to cook a lot more 
than ever probably. And you need to set yourself up for that. And those are lifestyle changes for a lot of people. They're big lifestyle changes. So my experience with that wasn't too bad. And I went in thinking like, if you've ever seen Chopped on Food Network, (laughs) I was like, okay, here's my basket of things I can eat. I'm not going to pay attention to what I can't eat. And I'm going to cook with this basket and I'm going to get creative and, you know, rock this. And luckily, you know, it went pretty well, but I would say there's a point where, you know, it's only going to take you so far. Cool. You saw these results. Great. But then a lot of people will be like, yeah, but what about this, this, and this? Oh, I'm going to just like diet harder. I'm just going to like do it again. I didn't keep consistent. I accidentally had chocolate a few times, like just whatever it is, you start to like blame yourself and then only use that. And I would just say like, there's tools for different things. There's tools for different healing. There's tools for different issues in your life. And when you're only using diet as the tool, it's time to put it down. You know, your head's probably not in the game anymore. You're not being open-minded. Maybe you're not paying attention to how your body's even responding to it. And if you are really struggling with restriction and binging, you have to give it a rest because it's just doing you more harm than good at this point. So I definitely started coming to those realizations after a while where it was like the first one would be great. And then if I still wasn't seeing, you know, the progress that I wanted to see or SIBO happened upon me and I'm like, oh, I got to remove all this other stuff. It was getting old really fast. And I was like, I cannot keep just like removing stuff from a physical standpoint. I mean, you don't want that either. You start leaning on the same foods over and over again. And then that's an issue with like diversity in your microbiome and it's going to make things in your gut worse. So I think there's mental and physical implications with them. If you're not doing them if your head's just not in the game to be doing them. And also I would say without support is a little bit hard. Like if you can do it with someone holding you accountable and helping you transition off to figure out what's working well for you, it's going to be really hard. And I think lastly, where I've kind of landed with everything is if you can test yourself for food sensitivities, do that and do it with someone that can help you, you know, make the eliminations and then heal your gut because you make eliminations so that you can heal through it. And then ideally you can start to reintroduce things and then figure out where you specifically as an individual land, because everyone is so unique. So think of it as a tool. Don't keep using a hammer for something you need a wrench for, you know, like just put it down. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm guessing that probably a lot of your clients are New York based Mm -hmm. and they're probably burning the candle at both ends and probably (laughs) potentially experience some adrenal insufficiency. Can you speak to how you use nutrition and maybe some different lifestyle tips to not feel burnt out all the time? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely a huge thing. I do have a lot of ladies from New York city, but I have ladies all over that definitely they're like our people. Like they, they are burning the candle of ends. Totally. They're really trying to be perfect. They're trying to fix their health and they're well-informed. They're listening to podcasts like this. They're, you know, they're reading blogs and they're trying to really take control of their health. They're really owning it. You know, they don't expect anyone to just give them this stuff, but with that, we can be really hard on ourselves. So I would say, yeah, I definitely have quite a few tips and tools that I use with the adrenal burnout. So firstly, I would say blood sugar regulation is huge with this our adrenals are so key in our hormone health. So oftentimes besides just 
being burnt out and exhausted will have a lot of hormonal imbalance issues, symptoms, you know, brain fog, period problems. Like it's like a whole cascade again, because our adrenals are so key because they keep us alive. They, you know, help us fight or flight and, you know, our body prioritizes our adrenals. So if you're using them constantly, like us, right. <laughs> We're using them constantly our body's going to prioritize that over our ovaries getting enough estrogen and progesterone over our thyroid making enough T3 and T4. So just have to like, think about that. And we have to think about the stress on our bodies. So sugar and stress is like a big deal. So with regulating our blood sugar, I would take it back to that starting savory doing the protein, you know, greens and like fat in the morning is one of my favorite things to do because again, that helps you with the sugar cravings, but it also helps set the tone for the rest of the day so that your blood sugar is not spiking. If you start with sugar in the morning, you've spiked all, all the way up and there's only, you know, all the way down to go. That's one of my biggest things for that. And then we have the stress management and that's really, you know, the self-care, the meditation, just taking a walk in nature if you can in the city. I mean, maybe that's Central Park, like whatever it is for you figure it out, what makes you feel calm and what helps you. Um, really also just breathing, like just some good breathing techniques throughout the day is really helpful. Then I would also say healthy digestion. So practice that mindful eating, focus on eating things that make you feel really good. Also definitely your arena, but healthy movement on the regular, right? And I'm sure you probably deal with this too, with um, thyroid strong, like women with thyroid issues chronically have issues with their adrenals too, because they're so interrelated. And they'll always say to me, like, I realize I can't do, you know, cardio seven days a week anymore, but what do I do? So I'm sure you're, you're best to give a lot of tips on that one. Yeah. 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 Totally. And it's hard, especially I think as women, I don't know where this was programmed. We're like, lose weight, go for a run. You know, that's like always the next thought. It's never like, yeah get strong by lifting weights or, you know, it's always kind of like, how can I get skinnier and how can I be like a hamster on the crazy wheel, burning myself (laughs) out to try and get there. I like when Dr. Gabrielle Lyons always saying it's not the issue of, or at least like stop focusing so much on the over fat. Like let's talk about how you're under muscled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You have so many recipes and like so many beautiful photos on your website. It's just like a gorgeous website. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What do you recommend for people who maybe like Seamless and DoorDash and Caviar (laughs) are like their (laughs) go-to I made dinner (laughs) (laughs) and aren't like skilled in the kitchen? Like I always felt like in the kitchen, every time I would attempt to cook something, I was like, eh. Yeah. You know, like I feel like I'd have to go take a cooking class to like make it actually taste good. <laughs> um, but then all those deliveries, you have no idea what is in there. Like yeah. what kind of oils, what it was cooked next to. Did they sprinkle some flour on your steak? Totally. Is there like some crazy parasites <laughs> in it? <laughs> so, what do you recommend for people who are like want to cook for themselves, think they want to cook for themselves, but aren't well versed in the kitchen? Where does someone start? Yeah. So, and that's definitely a big thing that comes up. Cause like you said, if we're so busy all the time and yeah, we know we need to prioritize where our food is coming from, but it's just hard. So I would say there's actually very simple things that you can do with just like time-saving meal prep. 
One of my favorite things to do, boil a carton of eggs. Boom. Put it back. Don't crack them open and like peel them because then they'll start to smell and like go bad quickly. Just leave them in their shells, stick them back in the carton. And when you're ready to use them, you crack them open and do that. So that's some protein, right? Like a quick protein. And I would say keep quick proteins handy. So if you want to do some tuna, just maybe not too much because of the mercury, but keep that on hand. Sardines, frozen sausage that they'll make that's like free range and you know no sugar added you can find. So keeping things that it's like it's not going to take you very long to cook and it's not going to go bad right away because that's kind of a common complaint I'll hear is like I thought I was going to be Martha Stewart this week. I went to the farmer's market. I bought all this stuff and by Wednesday it was all wilted and garbage and I wasted it and I feel terrible. Especially if you're like if if you're a single woman. Yeah. You're like, okay, how do I buy food and then cook and not feel like I just cooked for like a family because it's just me. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. And you kind of feel like, I don't know, this stuff is sitting in my fridge. I'm exhausted. Like, how am I going to get this all together to like taste decently and, and all that good stuff? So yeah, I would say like give frozen vegetables a chance. They're not bad for you by any means. A lot of times they're actually picked when they're most ripe and then frozen. So it's fine. Like it's better that you do that versus spending a hundred dollars at the farmer's market and you're not going to use any of it. And then it just went to waste. So I would say quick proteins, get some frozen vegetables, like frozen spinach, frozen kale, like whatever artichokes they have, all that good stuff. Keep that handy. And now we're in the winter. So like eat seasonally as best you can, because that stuff will be more fresh and it will last you longer roast stuff in your oven. That's like one of the easiest ways to cook anything. Just like shove it in a pan with some nice oil and, you know, your favorite seasonings and roast it. And like, you can't really lose. Those are some of my biggest tips there. And then I would say there are some decent like meal delivery services that not seamless, not like, you know, ordering takeout more so like even like the Thrive Markets, you know, for your pantry and like the frozen produce and frozen poultry and all that good stuff that you can get. But there are definitely like meal services that will create meals for you and you can pick your diet type. So if you know like, hey, I'm leaning more towards paleo or I have to be gluten-free, you know, you can select those options and then just get those meals, stick them in your freezer and have them ready to go. So there's just so many more Do you have companies that you like that do that like pre-made? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I use actually balanced bites for Mm. my postpartum meals for sure. I used Bonafide Provisions. They have amazing bone broths and soups now as well. They have like a chicken soup and all this good stuff. So that's really easy to just, you could just defrost in the morning. And by the time you come home, you know, ready to go. I'm trying to think what else. There's other ones that I know a lot of people like, like the paleo on the go one. I think I have a lot more on my blog. You can definitely check them out. And then I would also say they have those like things like Green Chef, you know, that like they'll prep all the ingredients for you and then you can totally Martha Stewart it out and have everything ready to go. And like, you're only going to succeed. You're good to go. Yeah, 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 Um, totally. Well, that's helpful too. Yeah, there's so many options. You know, don't get overwhelmed. Try something new and you know, have fun with it. It's food. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would want to leave the listeners with? Oh my God. We covered so much. This is so much. I know. This is great. I think kind of what I just said, like let food be fun (laughs) because I think a lot of people start to fear what they can have, whether it's 
things that we're hearing in the media or the news or like, what about this? I heard I can't have this anymore. You know, just, just take a minute and breathe and listen to your body. And the way that we do that again would really be slowing down and getting in touch again. You know, you can keep a food journal to figure these things out. You can work with a professional to help you, you know, just figure out what it is that you need and honor that. And lastly, I would say, with the mindful eating stuff, I have a mindful eating challenge that you can Ooh. grab. I'm going to send you the link. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a five-day mindful eating challenge. If that's something that you feel like you could use some structure around, you'll get some daily tips and challenges to do. And literally, you will see all the good stuff that we were talking about, like less bloating and like, I feel amazing, like all that good stuff. So, you know, come check me out for recipes. Come check me out for the challenges. and. Yeah. And um, where can people find you? Foodbymars.com. And also I'm often on Instagram, Pinterest, all, all the social medias as Food by Mars as well. Yeah. And a super pretty Instagram as well. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Photography is my jam. I do like a good photo. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been so informative. I'm so glad. Thanks I'm going to take three me. deep breaths before I stick something in my mouth. <laughs> some food in my mouth now. <laughs> yes, that's the best takeaway. Just do that, guys. Just do that. <laughs> that's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.